Uh, the reading's taken from Colossians 1, verse 15 through to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. What a stunning backdrop Colossians 1 provides for the finale of our series, Amazed by Jesus. It's truly awesome. In the beginning, Simon Ponsonby posed the question, are we amazed by Jesus? For many of us, the ground covered in this series isn't new, but more or almost old hat. Knowing about Jesus, especially when we've done so for many years, carries a risk. The risk that we become jaded, losing the thrill or amazement of our first love. Part of Simon's reason for writing the book was to counter the danger of becoming more bored, again, than born again. And in this series finale, I hope we'll catch a glimpse of Jesus, as portrayed in Colossians 1 and other passages in the New Testament, helping us to be amazed afresh as we see and understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we do, we'll keep asking the question, how are we responding to Jesus Christ as Lord? So now, before I go any further, let's pray. Gracious Father, please speak to us today through your word and my words. Amaze us, inspire us, challenge us. Send your Holy Spirit to refresh us, transform us, empower us, and as we respond, use us to bring honour and glory to your Son. Amen. 
In my local garden centre, there's a large area labelled Instant Impact Plants. Already well-established in large pots, a host of brilliant plants ready and waiting to transform my modest garden. Immediately, right now, without delay. And it occurs to me that God wants the stunning truth that Jesus Christ is Lord to make an instant impact in our lives, transforming us immediately, right now, without delay, and permanently. So how are we responding to Jesus Christ as Lord? As we heard, Colossians 1 provides that stunning, amazing backdrop, declaring the awesome reality that Jesus Christ is Lord, revealing that there's no limit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, declaring he's the epicenter of the entire universe. Whereas the planets of our solar system rotate around the sun, the entire universe revolves around God's only son. Everything, it's all created through him and for him, and he holds everything together. It's a picture well worth pondering often, at home, in the garden, on walks, and occasionally even in church. Because we need to get this truth fixed in our hearts and minds. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a well-known, much-loved, parallel peon of praise to Jesus in Philippians 2, exploring the enormous cost of the sacrifice he made in coming, living, serving, dying for us. And ending with these immortal words. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you know that Jesus is called Lord more than 700 times in the New Testament? That's quite a lot, isn't it? There's only 250 pages. Simon Ponsonby explains that the Greek word kyrios can mean anything from master through to God. But the Hebrew divine name, Yahweh, is always referred to or rendered as Kyrios, and that's Kyrios with a capital K, in Greek translations of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So when first century Jews use the title Kyrios with a capital K, they're ascribing absolute divinity to Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord over all, as revealed in his life, recorded in the New Testament. Lord over creation. See 
how the wind and waves obey him. Lord over health, healing the sick of all kinds of diseases wherever he goes. Lord over demons, even a legion of demons obeys him. Lord over religion, declaring the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord over sin, saying to the paralyzed man, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I tell you, get up. Lord over history, he chooses to die on the cross. Not a victim of circumstances, but able to call on over 12 legions of angels. Yet, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Lord over death itself. Raising Lazarus, yes, but how much more so in his resurrection? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The defining cry of every Christian is those words, Jesus Christ is Lord. By those words, we declare not merely our faith in him to save us, but also our total allegiance to him as our king, as our God. So how are we responding to Jesus Christ as Lord? Are we truly bowing the knee to him in everything. For example, when it comes to money, what's our attitude to giving? When I was young, lots was said about tithing, giving a tenth as a symbolic act of obedience. Although I wonder if that's going out of fashion today. Of course, there's a danger with symbolic acts. If tithing becomes too important, an end in itself even, we miss the point that everything, 100%, comes from and belongs to God, not merely 10%, a tenth. Surely, when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we're declaring, I'm yours to command, including all my money. Far from being a target, it seems to me that tithing becomes almost the baseline for giving. Certainly not, certainly not the upper limit. John Wesley lived by the principle that our spending needn't rise with our income. If I can live on an income of 30 pounds, when that's all I have, why can I, still, why can I not still live just as modestly on £30 when my income doubles? 
or trebles or quadruples, giving away all the extra? Yes, it's a radical approach, but it clearly acknowledges the rule and reign of Jesus, showing our allegiance, even when done in private. And many of us are richly blessed, wealthy even, able to afford to give away far more than a tenth. Whereas for others, giving or tithing may mean making sacrifices, like the poor widow Jesus praises. Are our choices in our giving, our spending, even, dare I say it, our plans for legacy reflecting that Jesus Christ is Lord? As well as what we do in private, our allegiance is also shown by the choices we make in public or more visible ways. And again, for example, when it comes to politics, what's our attitude to voting or campaigning? I know it can be unpopular putting one's head above the parapet on politics as Justin Welby discovered recently in his Easter sermon brush with the current Conservative government. And I well remember back in the 1980s another bishop, David Shepherd, getting heated criticism from a previous Conservative government for using his voice. However, the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is Lord applies to every area of life, even to our politics. Surely it must influence how we respond to what we see and hear in the world around us, from the global through national to local level, driving our prayers and the responses we make, including how we use our voice and our vote. It's a personal view, of course, but I believe that by declaring Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm obliged to use my voice and vote accordingly. So I'm willing to speak out against a sometimes arrogant complacency, an evident absence of integrity, a seeming selfish disregard for probity when that's what I see from our government. So I'm ready to oppose policies and plans which ignore God's concern, God's heart for those in need, God's bias to the poor, the suffering, the widow, and the refugee, when that's what I hear from our government. Last week, we had a chance to vote. And yes, I know it was only a local election. But, and I had a frank exchange of views with my local candidate about this. I can't divorce what I see in our national government from that party's local representative. So when I went into the booth, I remembered my ABC 
voting in a way that seemed less inconsistent with what it means to me to say Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I hope that by giving a couple of highly provocative examples, I'll set us thinking. Because this amazing truth that Jesus Christ is Lord applies to any area, every area of our lives. So for the final time, how are we responding to Jesus Christ as Lord? It isn't easy, but in the choices we make, whether big or small, whether largely unseen or more public, are we reflecting consciously and deliberately that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are we showing our allegiance by subjecting our decisions to his teaching and his example? 